So this morning, we are talking about kindness from the fruit of the spirit. It's the fifth item, fruit, that Paul talks about. And so I want you to think. Have you heard the expression, it is better to be kind than right? How many of you for most of your life have wanted to be right more than kind? <laughs> yes, I resemble these remarks quite strongly um, because giving, being right gives us things, right? Being right gives us moral superiority. It gives us a sense of self-righteousness. Uh, it gives us a sense of importance. Um, you know, that we're, we're doing the right things or saying the right things or knowing the right things. Um, but unfortunately, as this phrase uh, implies, being focused on being right can make us argumentative, judgmental, and pretty condescending, um, depending on how we use our rightness. And it cuts us off from people. You know, this idea, which we see, I think, everywhere of I'm right, you're wrong, we can't be friends, we can't work together, we can't talk, you know, whether we're talking about politics or, you know, even like people who want to buy organic and want everyone to buy organic versus people who maybe can't afford buying organic produce. Like, there are militant people on. I'll say every side of every argument and it cuts us off from people. And so a few <laughs> years ago, uh, I embraced this idea of it's better to be kind than right. Um, and as I've been doing with all of uh, these sermons, I've talked about the words in Greek, what this word is. And then also today is a special day. We get to talk about my favorite word in Hebrew. So in Greek, this word for kindness um, is, and I, again, gonna butcher it, Christotes, um, which means usefulness, manner or morals, uh, excellence in character. It also can mean gentleness, goodness, or kindness. And the interesting thing about this word is that it's action-oriented in a lot of ways. And so if you look at the bullets pin, uh, I've put in parentheses, compassionate action after kindness, because that's what this word, at least in the Greek, implies and means. There's a compassionate action of some kind that is helpful to another human being. And then we get to my favorite word in Hebrew, which is chesed. It's spelled H-E-S-E-D. And it's used over 130 times in the Old Testament alone. It describes God's loving kindness, which is the way that it's sometimes translated. Um, God's loving kindness towards his people. 
uh, it describes loving kindness between people. So like in the story of Ruth and Naomi, um, Boaz shows kindness. The word that's used is chesed. Uh, shows, um, hold on a minute. Oh, there she is. She's, I have a friend who's listening to the sermon. And so <laughs> she just muted herself. <laughs> she, I heard her clear her throat. I was like, what is going on? Um, it's bad allergies this time. Um, but so it's when, uh, when David, King David goes looking for any descendants of Saul and Jonathan, he finds Mephibosheth and he treats him with loving kindness because Jonathan and David made a covenant. And it, chesed is very much tied in uh, the Old Testament to covenant and the agreements that are made between God and his people. Now, chesed is often simply translated as kindness because it does have the active sense of doing something for another person, something that shows thoughtful love and action. Huh. And, and this is what this kind of kindness means. So for those of you who really like Psalm 23, where it, um, depending on your translation, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That goodness and mercy in Hebrew is chesed. Um, it could be translated loving kindness. And as a side note, follow. Um, in that passage, surely chesed should follow me. If you look up where that word is used in other parts of scripture, it is primarily used when it is describing how an army chases another army down. So imagine God chasing you with his loving kindness. It's a beautiful thing, right? And so for us as Christians, um, we, as we have been created in the image of God, we have the ability to, to reflect the character of God because the spirit is given to and developed in us. So these fruit that we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about um, are developed in us because of this relationship that we have with God. And God expects us to grow, I think, in his character and demonstrate it to others. So let's break down this story a bit. I'm going to focus not on Jairus coming and his daughter, but on the woman who was healed in that, that, kind of, um, that interruption, really, in the story, which says a lot about what I'm going to be talking about. So first of all, um, I'm gonna go through some cultural things that are important for understanding the story a bit more uh, clearly. So first of all, this was a woman. Women were still considered property. Jewish men did not speak to women in public, period. Like, cannot be more clear about that. There was a very distinct uh, gender separation in how things went down. So keep that in mind. Second of all, she had been bleeding for 12 years. Uh, if any of you like to read Leviticus, 
Leviticus outlines a whole bunch of things and a whole bunch of different ways that people were unclean. When women had their menstrual cycle, they were considered unclean. So this woman was in the middle of a crowd, potentially contaminating everybody else. She was ritually and ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean. And whoever she touched also became unclean. So this woman, first of all, not really considered a human in some ways, but she was also marginalized and ostracized because of a condition she could not stop. She had tried, right, for 12 years, gave all of her money to doctors and she kept getting worse. And she had so much faith in who she thought Jesus was that she thought if I only just touch his garment and in two of the commentaries that I read, they talked about what this garment would be like. And so for Jesus being a, um, a good Jewish man, he would have had some kind of prayer shawl that he wore. Um, I don't know if it was similar to something like this, but it had tassels on the four corners. And those tassels um, were to remind uh, each person of God's presence. And so it's very possible that this woman reached up and touched a tassel, just, you know, on the bottom of, of his garment. And, and all of this happens in the middle of a crowd where people, as the disciples say, are pushing in on Jesus. I get people claustrophobic. Just thinking of that makes me really nervous. But he didn't have any concern. He, you know, Jairus came. He was like, okay, let's go to your, to your daughter. And in the midst of walking to do something kind and compassionate, we have this other interaction with Jesus. And Jesus tells her that her faith heals her. And the thing about this that I think is really interesting is that um, in Luke and Mark, there's this longer story. In Matthew, it's condensed a bit. Um, so like in, in Luke and Mark, talks about how she was afraid, how she did when Jesus says, who touched me? She didn't at first respond, understandably so, right? because technically she wasn't allowed to talk to him and he wasn't allowed to talk to her and she was unclean and all of these things that kept her separate. And yet Jesus wants to know, I think in some ways so that Jesus could acknowledge her and her worth. It was a kind thing to do, compassionate action. And he calls her his daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. According to one of my commentaries, this is the only time that Jesus uses that particular uh, tender phrase in any of the gospels. He demonstrates an incredible amount of love and compassion to this woman. It's an amazing thing. 
Because in all of this, according to Jewish law and custom, none of it should have happened. And yet it did. And that to me, re like, that's the essence of this kind of kindness, a compassionate action that Jesus embodies. And the thing that we also need to notice and just make note of, I think, is that Jesus doesn't berate her. I don't think he asks the question, who touched me in an accusatory way at all. And he didn't get upset. He showed loving kindness to a woman who had been marginalized for 12 years. She was restored not only in her physical being, but also to the greater community, which was a huge thing in that day. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture because of just how out of the box Jesus is in this situation. And so what, what are the implications of this for our lives? Um, and now the Holy Spirit may give you something that I don't mention, and that's fantastic. If that happens, literally go with God. But I think as I was thinking about this and preparing, I think sometimes the morals or behavioral expectations or um, codes of conduct, whatever you want to call it, that we've created for ourselves might be barriers to us being kind and showing God's love to people. Because if Jesus would have listened and upheld the law as it should have been upheld, this wouldn't have happened. And it, it made me ask the question, how do we, or how do I engage with people who don't agree with me? How are we treating people regardless of their status? How are we treating people who um, might be living in ways that we completely and totally disagree with? And because we are Christians, because we believe in Jesus, we have to think about really carefully, how are we extending God's grace and love to the world so that people can be in relationship with God and Jesus? And then the next, the last question that I thought of was how do we as the church interact with or help people who are on the mar margins of society? of those, you know, how do we interact with people who have been pushed to the side or don't quite fit? Um, yes, uh, from what I've seen, this particular church helps people every month with things that are in, you know, like when Laura brings people to us. Um, but that's not direct interaction, right? Like, Jesus, as he walked to Jairus's home, he was paying attention for who else, I think, in some ways, he might be able to bless while he was on that walk. Because he wasn't in a hurry. Like, their timing was not his timing. 
And so as he's walking to be the Messiah and go to Jairus and heal his daughter, he gets to have this other interaction. And to me that, if we're supposed to emulate Jesus, I think our hurried and busy lives are counterintuitive or counterproductive to what Jesus invites us to. Now, granted, just like most people, I like to be on time for things, but I also know that when the Holy Spirit nudges me, I need to pay attention. For example, when was it? It was Wednesday. I had an appointment. I had two different things that I was doing. And in between, I was like, oh, I need to go and pick up something at Walmart. And I was thinking, oh, I can do it on my way back. Something in my gut told me, no, you need to go to this Walmart and you need to go now. I saw a good friend who was having some really difficult family problems. She was on her way out. I was on her way in and I was able to give her a gigantic hug. If I would have ignored that nudge from the Holy Spirit, I would not have seen her before she drove to where she was going and uh, met with one of her family members. It's not a big thing, but that to me was confirmation that I was listening to the Holy Spirit and that I was able to be kind. Um, like I said, not, not a big thing, but the relief that I saw on my friend's face was, was pure gift for me. Um, so it's those kind of things. How are we listening to what God is inviting us to in our daily lives so that we can encourage others, so that we can show kindness, so that we can do compassionate action for people? And like I said at the beginning, uh, for most of my life, I would have much rather been right than kind. But when I had this shift, um, thanks to the Holy Spirit, I now frame how I go about my life, um, especially in interaction with others when I'm speaking, uh, to two questions. One, is it kind or compassionate? You know, fill in the word. And then the second is, is it helpful or useful? And it's funny because as I was thinking about those two questions, I did not I did not know what the Greek word meant that was used in the fruit of the spirit for kindness, but it is all about being kind or useful. So how, how are we doing this? How are we willing to let the Holy Spirit change us to ripen this fruit in us so that we can be more kind? And that's a question for each one of us to wrestle with this week. But as we go about our lives, you know, as we're praying, we can ask God this really, what I would call a very courageous question. Where have I been more concerned about being right than kind? God loves to answer those questions with kindness and compassion.
not judgment, but hey, here's how you can, here's how you can do better. Oh, think about this. Because that's how we change. That's how we transform. And it's up to the Holy Spirit and us to work together so that that can happen. So as we go about this week, let's think about what it is to be kind, how we're helping people through compassionate action. And as we've done for the other uh, four weeks, let's end our sermon with the prayer by John Stott that's on the back of your uh, bulletin. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.